y'all. Welcome back to the Joy and Infertility podcast. Or if this is your first time listening, we are so glad that you're here. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and this is a place where we can link arms together as we are finding joy, even in infertility. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. As you know, we are right in the middle of season three. And today I'm having a conversation with Jillian Herlin, mama to more than a few miracles and author of the book, Hope Deferred finding peace in the midst of infertility. Jillian's story is slightly reversed than a lot of ours. They had no problem really getting pregnant their first time, so they were shocked that unexplained infertility would become part of their story in the future. Their nine-year battle with infertility had its fair share of depression and questioning God and really ultimately wrestling with God and what His role was in their journey. She has a lot to share with us today, so grab a cup of coffee and come join me and Jillian for a little chat. Well, Jillian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. So introduce us to you and your family and just tell us all about your life. Okay. Well, um, my husband, Todd, and I have been married for 18 years. Todd teaches third grade. Congratulations. 18 years. Thank you. (laughs) It does kind of feel like an accomplishment. Yes. Yep. So he's been teaching third grade for almost that whole time. Um, We both went to school for teaching. He did the elementary ed route and I went for secondary ed teaching Spanish, but I never actually taught Spanish. I went on staff with the campus ministry instead. Um, But I'll get into that a little bit later, but I currently stay home with our kiddos during the day. And then I teach horseback riding lessons in the evenings. Wow. Um, yeah, we have four kids um, and each of our kids' personalities really seems to reflect what God was doing in our hearts during that season. Our firstborn is Aliyah. She's 14 and a freshman in high school. So we're in the thick of the teenage years. Um, but she's smart and creative and very responsible, like a lot of firstborn children. And she enjoys horseback riding with me and played volleyball in middle school. But really, I think it's all about the social aspect for her. Um, so, yeah. And so then we have Josh. He's our second born. He's the one that we really longed for in the beginning of our infertility journey since we struggled with second time infertility. And I love that your podcast is about fighting for joy in the midst of infertility, because that was really the overarching message that God had for me when we were struggling with infertility. I felt like God promised me that he would bring about joy from my pain and suffering. And when we finally got pregnant with Josh and I'd be praying for him, joy was the word that I heard all the time. And he, Josh practically came out smiling. I mean, he smiled super early. He's an extroverted kid. The minute he could talk, we'd be in the supermarket and he'd be saying hi to anyone and everyone that would listen. And that was actually his first word was hi. <laughs> oh, that is so cute. Yeah. I've never heard that before. <laughs> it's normally Dada. <laughs> he, that's just him. So he's 10 and he's in fifth grade. And then we have Noah. He's the gift that we received from our second season of infertility. He's five now and just started kindergarten which has been a very weird start this year with COVID, but um, he's still loving it and super excited about it. 
and when I was pregnant with him, I kept hearing the word peace. And wouldn't you know it, he came out and he is the most peaceful kid you will ever meet. He's the kind of kid that, you know, if, if people didn't know us better, they would think, man, they're awesome parents because he's just a really <laughs> good kid, you know. And obviously, we've got four kids and they're all very different, but he's super full of peace and very easygoing, which God knew he needed to be because then our fourth miracle, our fourth surprise came 19 months after he was born. And she's a bit of a spitfire. We, <laughs> we, we call her passionate because she has been passionate ever since she was a baby. I mean, you never, you never had to question how she was feeling or what she was thinking. And she's four now. And her whole life, she has been a mama's girl to her core, just mm. loves being with me. And so, yeah, God's used her to show me really his fierce and intense love for me because she loves fiercely. She gives the best hugs. No. So those are our kiddos. And then we, we live on a small little farm. So we have six horses and a pony, a donkey, two goats and three cats. Oh my goodness. So you have a job outside, we do. We stay outside of your house for sure. <laughs> um, tell me, tell me your kids ages again. You said 14, 14, 10, five, and four. So there was four years between your first and second, five between your second and third. Yes. And then you said 18 or 19 months between yes, the 19 last months two. between the last two. Well, your journey, I feel like, skips that first part that most of our stories have. You had your first kiddo with no problem, but then you walked through secondary and then what do we call third time, like continuating, continuating their infertility. <laughs> yeah. um, so walk us through kind of what that journey was like for you guys. Sure. Yeah. So when Todd and I were ready to start our family, um, Todd was teaching already, and I was a campus minister at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. And um, it was actually, I was on staff with the ministry that Todd and I met at, and also the ministry that I met Jesus at. So um, I had been a Christian for a few years before we got married, but um probably still pretty kind of new in my walk, but I jumped right in when I um, made the decision to follow Jesus. And so being on staff, I, I was passionate about the ministry that we were doing. And so instead of going into teaching, I went on staff with the campus ministry and had been doing that for a couple of years. And, you know, we were getting to that stage where our friends were starting, just starting to have kids. And we were, we were excited and we were ready to start that new chapter um, and so, but what had happened when I was on staff with the campus ministry was that the pastor who was leading that actually started a church. And so the church was kind of born out of the campus ministry. And so when the church began, it was like probably 80% of all twenties and 30 year olds. So as you can imagine, that's the childbearing age. And there were a lot of people having babies. And so... Um, you know, like many who are excited to start a family, we thought we'd be pregnant within a month or two of going off birth control. But instead, it took us about six months, um, which wasn't any length of time that really like raised any kind of red flag. But um, so I didn't think we would have trouble in the future, but I was cert certainly getting anxious too. So we just, we didn't think there'd be any problems. So we had Aaliyah. And then 
after becoming a mom, I decided that I wanted to stay home with our kids and had regularly been praying about when to be done with the campus ministry. And in the fall of 2007, I felt like God was saying to kind of finish out the school year and then in the spring I could be done. And I had anticipated in my head that that would mean I would have a second child by then because we were already a couple months into trying for baby number two. And um, so we were hoping to space our kids about two years apart like everyone else seems to do. And I figured when I was done working that we would have a second child, but that was not our story. And so as it turns out, um, my last year of ministry, like I guess formal vocational ministry, was during the biggest wrestle of my faith to date. You know, every month I faced the disappointments of not being pregnant, even though I was sure I'd be pregnant soon, didn't know there was an issue. And all of my friends were having babies. Our whole church was having babies. You know, Mm -hmm. we were surrounded with it. And so, yeah, so eventually I think it had been a year because they tell you you have to wait a year before they'll officially diagnose you as having any kind of issue. So I talked with my OB and he explained that he could start me on Clomid, but anything beyond that, I would need to see a fertility specialist. So we just went ahead and jumped right to seeing a fertility specialist. We wanted to know if there was something going on and we were really anxious. We didn't want a huge space between our kids. So we just kind of jumped right to that. So he did all the standard tests, you know, the blood test and hysterol cell penogram, penograph. I think I said that right. <laughs> um, and my husband had sperm analysis done and his results came back with the highest sperm count that they had seen in six months. So wow. the, the doctor jokingly gave him the blue ribbon award. <laughs> and you're like, great. Thank you. Yep. Right. I was like, awesome. So that the problem's not with him. <laughs> um, but you know, my blood work came back pretty normal. Um, the only thing they noticed was that maybe my thyroid was a little bit underactive, but otherwise they, they kind of called it unexplained infertility. Okay. But I did get started on some thyroid meds to see if that would help. And then he started me on Clomid for a few months. And when that didn't produce any results, we added in Folistim shots, which are the shots that force you to ovulate. Mm-hmm. So we did that for three or four months, and then we finally got pregnant with Josh. So it was about a full two years of of trying for him before we finally got pregnant with him. And when I was seems like it's pretty it was pretty consistent trying for two years with lots of lots oh, of yeah. stuff back to back. For sure, I think it was it was about a year of fertility treatments before we finally got him. Mm-hmm. And like I said, everyone else around me was getting pregnant and I, I made a list, which is just a horrible idea, but I had like <laughs> 30 people on my list of all the people that could get pregnant and every single one of them got pregnant before I did. Like people that you thought these people might get pregnant and then you would check them off or as they shared their news, you wrote them down. Um, no, I wrote out the list beforehand. Oh, <laughs> you know, Okay. Like I said, I really don't recommend that, but I don't know what not advice that we give. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know what I was thinking. Like I think I just I it was just a moment of like I wanted to prove to God and to myself, like, see, I am the only one being left out here. You know, and so it yeah, the last person on the list got pregnant the month before I got pregnant. So Oh, wow. Well, I'm sure you are not the first or last person that has made a list. I I didn't have like a written list, but I for sure had a mental list. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too funny. Very real. Okay. Sorry to yes. interrupt. Keep going. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, when I, when I had Josh and I was holding him in the hospital, I can still picture to this day, the room, everything. I just, I had an overwhelming feeling that we were not done, that I just knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I wanted another child. And I felt like God had another one for us. And, you know, that's not a typical thing that you feel when you have just given birth to a child, you know? Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what God's story was for us. And, um, so, so I knew that we were not going to do anything to prevent getting pregnant. And so we would just kind of keep the door open and hope that God would give us a third child. But once Josh was two and we hadn't gotten pregnant again, we decided to see the fertility specialists again. And they did blood work again. And um, I don't remember what the name of the test was, but they test like your eggs to see how healthy they are and kind of determined yeah. that I was premenopausal. And mm -hmm. I, I was only 30 at the time. Wait, I'm not, I can't even keep it straight now, but I think I was, yeah, about 31, 32 and so, and that was in addition to for sure having an underactive thyroid. So they started us right away with where we had left off when we got pregnant with Josh with Clomid and Folistim. And so we did that for several months. And then they suggested that we kick it up a notch and do IUI. So we did that for three or four failed attempts. And then the doctors um, just sat us down and they said they didn't want to waste our time or our money. And told us that really with that many failed IUI attempts that um, our chances were really slim of getting pregnant, that our best chance would be to try IVF. Um, and so we spent a lot of time seriously wrestling with that idea and considering it, despite the fact that we did not have the money, which I don't really know anybody in this situation that really yeah. has that sitting around, you know. But in the end, we, we just couldn't justify the expense, especially when we had two tiny mouths to feed and we were living on a teaching salary. And we felt that our third child would probably be our last. And so we couldn't reconcile in our minds what we would do if we had fr frozen embryo embryos left over. Um, so we told our fertility specialist that we couldn't go forward with IVF and he completely understood but I asked him what our chances were of getting pregnant on our own. And he said that given all the factors and looking at the steps that we had taken thus far, that we probably had a 0.05% chance of getting pregnant on our own. So I was pretty crushed, as you can imagine. Um, for months after that, I kept scheming and trying to figure out how we could make IVF work. Um, I constantly wondered if we should have tried it. Would we regret not trying it? I just, I didn't want to accept that God only had two children in mind for us, but I felt like the only way forward was to try to accept that. So, you know, cause we did, we had a boy and a girl, which feels like the American dream, right? You know? Yeah. Um, but it, it took some time, but eventually I thought I did feel at peace about having two children. I was even looking forward to the prospect of Josh being in school full time as well as Aaliyah. So I was beginning to think about going back to work and, started dreaming about what that new stage of life and parenting, you know, could look like. And then we had the surprise of a lifetime. I had been spotting for a couple days right about when I would have started my period. So I just figured I was starting my period. But when I didn't start, I decided I should probably take a test just to rule it out of my mind. Because I'm sure you know, you know, when you're 
when there's even the slimmest possibility, you sit there and drive yourself a little bit crazy, hoping that maybe it is. But I really thought I was taking the test to rule it out. I, I fully expected a negative pregnancy test and it was positive <laughs> and I was in complete shock. Wow. So we quickly started switching gears and geared up for the diaper stage again. And, you know, at, at this point, because all of our friends were, they, you know, they all had their kids two years apart in a nice, tidy fashion. Everybody else's kids were all back in school and they were going back to work. And um, so once again, we were kind of alone in our journey. Um, but I didn't really care because I was just so grateful to have Noah, which we didn't know it would be Noah at the time. But, um, you know, when I had been praying for Josh, our second child, I felt like God had shown us that we were going to have another girl. And um, there was even one point when Aaliyah came home from church. She was only two at the time, but she told us that God told her that she was going to have a sister. And um, she, I mean, she was two and she told us that. So, you know, we always had that in the back of our minds. And when we found out Josh was a boy, we figured, okay, well, maybe number three will be a girl. So we thought for sure number three was going to be a girl. So when we found out he was a boy, we were like, okay, maybe we just didn't hear that right, you know? So after Noah, you know, we hadn't even really considered a fourth child. Um, but since we got pregnant with Noah on our own, we thought maybe God will do it again. You know, we just weren't sure. And so, but we, we had been on the infertility journey for over seven years. And as you know, that's, that's exhausting. You know, we were kind of ready to be done having our lives marked by that battle on a daily basis. Yes. So mm -hmm. we, we were starting to consider the fact that it might not be a bad idea to make a permanent or a semi-permanent solution and have Todd get a vasectomy um, just to take away the power of the mental game, you know. Um, but before we felt comfortable doing that, we really felt like we needed to pray and ask God about whether that was the right step and whether he wanted any more children for us. We were certainly open to having another, but we hardly had time to even hope for her because found out I was pregnant with Sophia when Noah was 11 months old and I was still nursing him. And, you know, they say that's a myth that you can't get pregnant when you're still nursing. But when you've had so such a hard time getting pregnant, yeah. you just figure there's yeah. no way my body's going to give in and get pregnant while I'm still nursing, you know, right. <laughs> but God did it. And so that was for sure the shock of a lifetime. I, I was home alone when I took the test and I think I wandered around the house just in complete shock, just saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh mm -hmm. my gosh, is this really happening, you know? And so, yeah, so that's that's kind of how that happened. And Sophia was the little girl that God had spoken to us about and had spoken to her older sister about. She just came 10 years after Aaliyah. <laughs> what a cool story for her to have that, and that bond with her sister. For sure. I love that. That was, it was very similar with us. I was, I was in quarantine in Florida. My husband was in Kansas city in quarantine here. We were separated for about five weeks and I've shared before on the podcast with both of our pregnancies. Um, when I would take the test, everyone's like, Oh, you must be so thrilled. And honestly, it was just more of a shock Yeah. and it took months for us to get over just the shock of like this, like we're pregnant, this worked, we're not in that 
daily struggle of trying to get here anymore. We're here. But I mean, even though we were so joyful, oh my goodness, so joyful, it was more of just the shock. And whereas this one with the third, I literally just started laughing when I saw it. <laughs> I was, I mean, and not like a joyful, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. Like, a, oh my gosh, God, are you kidding me? Like, you are hilarious. You made us wait so long and take so, it was so hard. And this one just accidentally happened. And <laughs> my husband's not even here for five more weeks. So I have to tell him on FaceTime. And, and Jay was the same way. Like, he just started laughing and we just... Every time people were like, when we told them and they were just so shocked, we were like, yeah, we know we're, we're right there with you. But this time we're laughing through the shock. And before it was, it was just different. I, lo I love how each one has been diff different like that. For sure. God writes such good stories. <laughs> well, so with your, I feel like with your second, that you are so, you were so, you were trying, y'all were pursuing it so much. But with your third, before you got pregnant with your third, you were really dealing with like, almost should like, is this over? Are we closing the chapter? If people looked at you from the outside, you have a boy and a girl, you should be good. Like be grateful and <laughs> be good. Move on. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't, but you still were grieving. Um, yeah. and I feel like that's, that's a myth. I mean, if you have a boy and a girl, you should be happy and satisfied and just get over it. But there was still a grief that came with that, with that third round. Yeah. So can you kind of tell us a little bit more about what that was like? Yeah, for sure. We had tried to get pregnant with our third for a long time. You know, we did a whole year of failed infertility treatments. And so then we gave up, you know, and it was over a year after our last fertility treatment that we got pregnant with him. And so, um, yeah, there was definitely, there was a need to embrace whatever God had for us, you know, for some, I couldn't shake the feeling that it felt like we still were supposed to have another one and that I wanted another one, but I had to be okay and embrace that that might not be this, the way that God's going to write my story. And, um, you know, it, before you had, uh, asked me the question about whether number two or number three was actually harder for me. And, believe it or not, trying for number three was actually easier for me. Um, it was a different story for Todd. Todd didn't really struggle when we were trying to get pregnant with number two. I think he just figured it would happen and, and didn't, it just, it didn't bother him, but it really wrecked me. Um, so we kind of flipped roles when it came to trying for number three. When we were hoping for number three, I still faced that monthly disappointment. I still had some low points um, but I felt better equipped to kind of tackle the mental battle um, instead of being completely taken out like I had been when we were trying for number two. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, it, it was really by God's grace and with his help that I came out more solid than than what I had gone in with. Um, but number three was it was a little bit easier for me. Um, mainly just because of all the wrestle that I had put in trying for number two. Why do you think it was harder for your husband with number three? Um, he hadn't, like I said, he hadn't put in the work. He, mm. I think he just, and part of his personality, we've, we've talked about this since, um, he would just kind of try to avoid 
any hard feelings or deep feelings at all cost and just kind of try to stay in that place where he's just happy. So he's an optimist and it's going to work out. It'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he just, he definitely was. And so I think when we were facing it again and he knew how hard the first time around was for me, I think he was like, man, why are we here again? You know? And he just, like I said, he just hadn't put in that work. And so Um, In some ways, I guess it was good that we weren't struggling as deeply at the exact same time. Um, But as I was talking to him about how I was going to be talking with you about our journey, he actually, this past weekend, he apologized. He's like, I just, I really want to apologize for not walking alongside you during this because, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously God has been faithful. He's grown us both as people and grown us in our marriage. And um, he just, he can recognize that. He just tried to avoid those hard feelings. He tried to avoid having to really deal with the stuff that really mattered back then. And so unfortunately, especially when we were dealing with trying to get pregnant with number two, I I was really alone in that journey, not only not having friends around, but also not really being able to really wrestle that with Todd because he just, he wasn't struggling like I was. Um, So it was, what would he, what would he do when you would like, when you would have a really low point? Did you, did you go to him still, or did you try to not because you knew it wouldn't be helpful? Um, I think I did both. Um, I mean, I try, I certainly talked to him about how I was feeling, but he, he didn't really have a lot to say and, um, it, it wasn't real helpful for me to talk with him. And since I was struggling so much, um, mm-hmm. I, I definitely kept him in the loop on how I was doing and I journaled a lot, but as far as the two of us tackling that together, it, we just didn't feel as connected in that. Um, yeah. I mean, it, we definitely, I, I think I experienced that as well, especially those beginning, probably the first two to three, I would say two and a half to three years, probably of us trying with number one. And it, it was towards the end that I finally felt like, okay, you feel this too, because in the beginning it was just, yeah, but if plan A doesn't work, plan B will work. And if plan B doesn't work, plan C will work. We will have children. <laughs> and my, in my mind, I'm like, that is not actually true. We may not. God, you know, there could be there could be things that prevent every direct, every step we take. So we have to, I felt like I had to kind of embrace that more than what he did. And, but that's just, that was his personality. He's a, he's a process. I mean, if this one doesn't work, the next one will. So we'll just keep going. <laughs> That's, that is interesting that he, I mean, he's so sweet that he apologized. Yeah. I I was kind of surprised by that, but we're also in a very different place than we were when, you know, 10 years ago, 13 years ago. I know you mentioned you had some low points. What was the lowest point for, for you and your journey? Uh, no question. The lowest point was about a year and a half into dealing with infertility the first time. I think there were a lot of factors that contributed to that, but by far the biggest one was just feeling so alone. You know, I mentioned before that most of my friends were pregnant or they were holding fresh babies. And um, I think unfortunately, subconsciously, they, they all kind of pulled back from me a little bit because... Did they know that you were... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was very open about the struggle I was having. Um but it's hard. I mean, I think, um, I think I listened to a podcast that you were sharing at that you 
once you have what everybody is so desperately longing for, you feel almost a little bit guilty, mm-hmm. like you have what they want. And um, so I think my friends just, I think it was completely subconscious, you know, but, and they were busy, you know, with little babies. And so I think they, they just kind of pulled away. I, I even had a friend that shared with me, you know, she's like, I just feel bad. Like I, I want to hang out with you, but I feel like just being around you makes it harder for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And cause I have what you want. And, you know, that was the best thing that she could do or say was to just call that out and bring it to light. Because then I could admit, you know what, it is a little bit hard to be around you because you have what I want, but that's not your fault. <laughs> you know, that's not yeah. your issue. That's my issue. And the solution isn't to pull back and have me even more isolated and alone. Right. Like it's, it's way better to have you in my life and have your support as a friend than to not have you there at all, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's so great. That's a great advice is just to call it out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So that time I just, I really felt very alone. And like I said, Todd wasn't struggling the way I was. And so, um, so I just, I felt really alone. <laughs> I guess that's the biggest feeling so alone and just having so many questions for God about why I was going through it. You know, what was his part in it? You know, was he Mm -hmm. causing it or was it, was he just allowing it? You know, where, where did he fit in that? And I just, I went round in circles for a long time and not really finding a good place to land. Yeah. Well, that kind of brings us to that, that next question that I was going to ask you is um, you, you're a really, big advocate for leaning into God through infertility. And it sounds like that was kind of necessity for you because you were alone and that your husband wasn't there, your friends weren't there. And so that's what you had to do. So talk more about what that looked like for you and, and just how you encourage women to do that even still today, however many years, 14 years later. Yeah. You know, I think our tendency as humans is to either lean in to God or to lean away. You know, when things get tough, I think that's really when when we kind of see what our natural tendency is. And when you've gone through really hard stuff, I think you learn to lean in quicker maybe um, because you recognize that it's so much worse when you've, you've pulled away from God to try to tackle life on your own without him is a lot harder, you know, to lean into him doesn't mean that the problems go away, but it means that you've got, you've got somebody there with you. And um, you know, again, when I was really, really struggling I I wanted people to kind of fill that place of loneliness. And God showed me that he wanted to be that comforter, that refuge for me. It was easier for me to run to people because they could commiserate with me. And it was, it was harder to kind of quiet my heart, quiet my soul to really press in with God. Um, But when I finally did turn into him, you know, I brought all of the raw emotion. I brought the questions. I brought the struggle And God just sat with me in that. He didn't rush me out of the struggle, um, but he did provide a way out. He asked me to trust him with my story. And um, instead of comparing my story to everyone else's and feeling like I was somehow getting left out or left behind. And so I just, I had to make up my mind that God was either good all the time or he wasn't really good. And, um, you know, was he still good if I never got to carry another baby in my belly? And I had to reconcile that in my heart and in my mind to where I could honestly say that, yes, 
God is good, and I will stubbornly cling to that truth no matter what my circumstances say. Um, And up until infertility, I had never really had to wrestle that deeply. My my life circumstances had been fairly good, you know? I mean, sure, I had struggles. I dealt with abandonment issues from coming from a broken home, but... I, I would always have been able to tell you that I still believed God was good, that that belief was never really tested. Um, but infertility definitely tested that. And um, so, you know, for a long time, I was very depressed and alone and kind of felt hopeless. But once I started to lean into God, I started to see the light on the horizon. I started to have hope again, and not just a hope that I might get pregnant, but a hope that was deeper and not tied to my circumstances. Um, you know, I started to more clearly understand what Jesus would teach about, about having our foundation on the rock and not on the shifting sand. Cause mm-hmm. when my hope was anchored in the goodness of God, you know, I couldn't be shaken, but if it was anchored in pregnancy, that was shakeable every month, you know? Yeah. Or um, ovulation every, yeah, every day. Yeah. I mean, that's, just that's month, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, using that, like you're, you know, I love that plant analogy, um, you know, sending your roots down deep when you're rooted in something solid, you, you can't be shaken, but otherwise, you know, you might be uprooted and wilting and kind of wondering what happened. And so I did a lot of journaling during my seven plus years of infertility. And I'm so glad that I did. Um, cause that was one way that I was able to lean into God. I, I would show up with him, even when I wasn't convinced that he was meeting me there, I would show up when it was just really dark, you know, and I'd pour out my heart and, you know, through his Holy spirit, I can look back now on those journal entries and see how he was guiding me. And, I just, I can't imagine struggling on such a deep level with anything so meaningful without God to help you through it. Um, You know, because a wrestle with infertility, whether you believe in God or not, is a wrestle with God because he's the author of life. (laughs) And so, yeah, so, you know, whether I just, I think of Jacob in the Bible and how he wrestled with God. And when he came through that wrestle, he was able to more clearly see who God made him to be, you know, remember like God changed Jacob's Mm -hmm. name to Israel and he was able to more fully live into, to the plans that God had for him. So yeah, I just leaning into God, it's hard when you're dealing with infertility, but I've done both. I've pulled away from him and I've leaned in and there's no question that the way to go is to lean in. Yeah. So you've written a book about your journey. Is there a lot of this in there? Tell us about your book. Yeah. Uh, you know, I never thought I would write a book. I I wasn't, I never dreamed of being an author or anything of the sort, but I am very passionate about helping others through seasons and struggles that I've experienced. I feel like, you know, God teaches us and he comforts us so that we can comfort others. And um, so if I can make someone's journey a little lighter, then I'm super grateful. And so I wrote Hope Deferred really as the companion that I wish I had when I was dealing with infertility. It's kind of a collection of all the wrestles that I had and the truth that I found to combat the lies and the struggles that I couldn't seem to keep, I couldn't seem to shake without God's help. Um, so I really, I wrote the book 
during and just after trying for baby number two. So, you know, you had asked earlier again about the difference between number two and number three. And honestly, I went back to this book that I had written when I was struggling with trying to get pregnant with number three. And it was just so helpful for me to be reminded of, of those truths, you know, and um, so the book sat on my computer for eight years and all these years, I've kind of had that nudge to get, get that book out there. And, um, I really felt like this year was the time to finally do that. And the cool part was to be able to go back and relive that time and re just be rerooted, I guess, in the truths that God offers. Cause so much about what you deal with, with infertility, it, it transcends the specific circumstances of infertility and it can transcend to any struggle that we have, you know? And so, um, even though I wrote the majority of it after our first season of infertility, I was able to go back and just even offer additional insight, um, from, from seeing more fully how, how God's story in our lives was panning out, you know, cause when you're in the thick of it, I love the, that, analogy of putting together a puzzle. You know, God on God sees the full picture. He has the box with the whole picture on it, but we just have the pieces, you know, and so we don't always see how it's all coming together and even though I still don't know my whole story, I know I know how the the story of building of our family has turned out. And so I was able to go back and kind of infuse some of that, you know. They say hindsight is 2020 and so looking back on my infertility journey, things do look a lot clearer than they did when I was in the thick of it. So, yeah, you know, and the whole time I was struggling with infertility, God kept Proverbs 13, 12, that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. He kept that on my mind. And it took a few years into the infertility journey to realize that what he was talking about in the longing fulfilled wasn't meant to be pregnancy. You know, Mm, it was, it was meant to be a longing for God. Mm. And that with that, you know, there's a, when that longing is fulfilled, there's a tree of life. So I'm hopeful that God can use the book to help others not have to struggle so deeply. um, But also finding the benefits of clinging to the truth and clinging to God in the storm. Um, Because when our hope is anchored in God, you know, we won't be disappointed. And where can they find that? Um, it's on Amazon is probably the easiest place to find it. If you type in Hope Deferred and then Jillian or Hope Deferred Jillian Herlin, it'll come right up on the first page. Okay. Um, it's supposed to be on Nook, but it's taken months and months and months and it's still not quite up. I think they're having problems with their their site and it's also on Kobo, but Amazon's probably the easiest. I wanted it to be in a place where people could have a print copy of it because, as you know, infertility can be a pretty sensitive topic. Um, and so if you happen to know someone struggling with infertility, sometimes it's easier to be able to hand them a book and say, hey, I love you and I'm sorry you're going through this. Here's right. you know, somebody else's journey who's been through it. Maybe this will yeah. help. Well, I will put the link for that in the show notes on the website if anyone wants to jump over there and grab that. But Jillian, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and encouraging us with all of your wisdom. (laughs) Well, thank you again so much for having me and again, allowing me to share my story, the story that God is still writing. 
I don't know if you caught what she said there at the end when she was sharing about her book, Hope Deferred. She said, so much of what we face with infertility, the truths that we discover here in the midst of this incredibly hard journey, those things transcend just infertility. The lessons that we are learning here, the truth that we are learning about who God is in our life, God is going to use that again in the future over and over again. I have seen that time and time again. And one of the things that that she said that I think is probably the truth that stuck out to me the most is that our faith cannot be rooted in our circumstances. I love how she said, if, faith, if our faith is rooted in a pregnancy and getting pregnant, then every single month when we get that negative test or when we start our periods, our faith is tested and we are just wrecked. But if our faith is rooted in something deeper, if we stubbornly cling, I love what she stubbornly cling to that truth. No matter what your circumstances are, your faith is going to stay true despite whatever you face. And that was so true for me with our second when we were testing every single day for ovulation and it was just consistently negative. Every day started out in that deficit, in that hole. But when I shifted and said, no matter what that stick shows, my faith is rooted in who God is, that's when things started to change in my heart. And that's the truth that I cling to even today when I face hard things. So I really hope you enjoyed Jillian's conversation and I hope you go pick up her book on Amazon. The link is in the show notes on the website. You guys have a great week. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Join Infertility Podcast. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Whatever you're facing this week, remember, God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and He is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.